1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. And now we have these three things, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Once again, I'd like to share with you some definitions of love from the perspective of children. One child writes concerning what is love. When my grandmother, who got arthritis, can't bend her knees and grandpa paints her toenails for her. Yes, I would call that love. Another child writes, when someone loves you, the way they say your name is different and you know your name is safe in their mouth. Wow, isn't that something? Love does not degrade others. Love cherishes the name and the person. Great definitions of love. Some other children made these comments. Uh, Love is when uh, mommy makes daddy coffee and takes a sip before giving it to him to make certain it tastes okay. I can identify with that. Love is what's in the room when at Christmas time, after you've opened all the presents, you sit and listen. That's a good definition of love. Now, I love this one. Love is the little old woman and the little old man who are still friends, even after all of these years of knowing each other so well. Another child writes, Love is when mommy sees daddy sweaty and smelly and still says he's handsomer than Brad Pitt. Okay, there you go. And here's another one. Love is when your puppy licks your face after you have left him alone all day. I'd say that's a good definition of love. And here's the final one. You really shouldn't say I love you, one child writes, unless you mean it. But if you mean it, say it a lot. People forget I love these expressions because through the child's mind, we're allowed to see the definition of love in the details of real life. Now, the Bible tells us how love should be demonstrated. And the Bible also tells us how love should be defined. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible told us that love should be demonstrated in these facts, we, we should imitate God as dearly loved children, and then we should walk in love. Love is demonstrated when we imitate God's love for us. That's the standard of love. Love is demonstrated when we love others as we ourselves are dearly loved children of God. And so we love from within the relationship we have with God. We all have the capacity to love. This is also how love is demonstrated. Uh, Love is also demonstrated as we walk in love. Because love represents, or at least should represent, a lifestyle. Now looking deeply within the lifestyle to the details of life, we move from how love is demonstrated to how love is defined. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it is as if the Bible peers down into the micro details of our lives to guide us in understanding how love becomes a lifestyle in in the details of how we live from, from day to day. Now, I love this chapter because obviously it's known as the love chapter, but this content, 1 Corinthians 13, represents more than simply good content for a wedding. Now, I've done hundreds and hundreds of weddings, and most of those weddings have the reading of 1 Corinthians 13. And so it certainly represents 
a great focus for weddings and for marriages. But the storyline behind 1 Corinthians 13 represents the actual accountability that followers of Jesus have to love in every detail of life, especially down to the basic foundation of who we are as people who have faith in Christ. Let me prove this to you. If you were to look inside of 1 Corinthians from chapter 11 to 14, you would see what I like to call the macro story. The Apostle Paul is writing into a congregation that had some incredible challenges morally. And, and their, their depraved morality actually began to affect their lives in public. In fact, public worship became a very distracted and, and disoriented experience where the focus was was no longer on Jesus, but on one another. And so Paul writes from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 to 14, how to refocus public worship on the love of God through Jesus Christ. Narrowing a little more, to, more from the macro story to the, to the micro story, we now look at chapter 12, where Paul, Paul focuses on the spiritual gifts. Because within this problem of public worship, there were individuals who were practicing their callings or their gifts for self-notice and self-importance. Now, peering even more specifically into the micro story of, of these verses, Paul addressed two gifts that were being abused, two practices of spiritual gifts. One would be the speaking in tongues and the other would be prophecy. These gifts were being practiced in a way that drew attention to individuals and had no purpose of honoring and glorifying Jesus. And so Paul even moves more specifically into the micro part of this story by taking the emphasis off of what we do concerning the gifts and placing the emphasis on what matters most. So from the larger story all the way to this very pinpointed application, what is the one focus that Paul, led by God's Holy Spirit, encouraged the church to, to place their lives upon? That focus is indeed love. In fact, the very last phrase of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 announces, I will show you a better way. So public worship and, and church life and the practice of spiritual gifts and our callings, all is for nothing. If this one pinpointed ingredient or focus becomes missing, and that one focus is indeed Love. So love becomes defined down in the, in the micro details of our existence as followers of Jesus. This becomes the story of 1 Corinthians 13, the meaning or the context behind these words. So now that we can see the frame that God's word gives us concerning the emphasis of how love should be defined, I'd like to take a few minutes with you to walk through these very familiar verses to better reacquaint ourselves with how love should be defined. We're in part two of our teaching series, Walk in Love. And to move from love demonstrated to love defined, we need to see some specifics that are listed here. And I believe these will help you and encourage you. So I'd like to share with you several Answers to the question, how do we define love? How is love manifested in the, in the tiniest details 
in the most concentrated areas of our lives? Well, let me give you several answers. There is many as 10, and let's see how far we may go in this. We're going to focus first on verses 1, 2, and 3 of 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak with eloquent languages of men or of angels and have love, I'm a noisy gong, a clinging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and I have knowledge and I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all of my goods to the poor or if I martyr myself by giving my body to be burned and have not love, I'm I'm nothing. So verses 1, 2, and 3 give some uh, examples of what you and I might call exemplary acts of Christian faith. A strong faith that moves mountains, an eloquent and articulate way of, of reflecting the mysterious truths of God, benevolence toward the poor, even martyrdom with our own physical well-being. All of these that might represent exemplary Christian living becomes nothing without love. So I'm not sure where you are in this topic of love in the, in the basic and most foundational details of your life, but let's look at some of the definitions of love so that we do not uh, become nothing uh, concerning the standards of Scripture, even though we may think we're, we're accomplishing great things for our Lord. If love does not become the foundation, then all that we would do is for nothing. So let's, let's look at how love is defined. I'll give you several of these. Beginning with verse 4, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, love does not boast, and love is not Proud. Number one, love is patient. Now, the word patient here can reflect this idea of suffering long with someone. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, we read, Bear up with one another and forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven you. It's interesting that the Bible reminds us that if we are to be patient or to bear with one another, the motivation becomes Jesus has forgiven us, and therefore we must be that patient and that merciful with others. If, if, if I am to forbear with others, my motivation needs to be that, that I need people forbearing with me. I know that my life requires other people to be patient with me. And so this scripture calls us to be patient with others because Christ has has been merciful and, and patient with us, long-suffering with us, bringing us forgiveness. And, and what an incredible calling we have first to see that our love for others should be a love that is patient. When I look at the very definition of this idea of patience in the, in the New Testament language, the message comes staying with. Patience indicates staying with. And not growing weary of love that we have for others. So I encourage you in your love, stay with it. Be patient, be forbearing, be long-suffering with others. Psalm 136 verse 1 reminds us that, that God's loving kindness lasts forever. And so God's covenant love is an enduring love. But His covenant love also represents this kindness. So look at the second definition of love. Love is not only patient, love is kind. This is an elementary trait, a rudimentary trait, because from the youngest age to the oldest, we are all expected to be kind. This idea of kindness comes from the the idea of, of not ignoring or disrespecting what is commonly expected. Oh, how we must we must be very open and 
expressive in our in our faith and our love for Christ. The idea of kindness represents practical acts of goodness that should be expected of people who are following Jesus. So love is indeed kind. Third definition, love does not envy. Now, the the message of envy also resonates the message of jealousy. Love does not exhibit jealousy. This word actually indicates being heated up or resentful. To be envious or jealous is to indicate that although we may say we love, our love eventually circumvents the person to whom we think we're loving and we look for our own benefit and our own um, our own way and agenda to be fulfilled. And so that's not love. No, love is not jealous. Love is not bent toward envy or, or self-serving. Love is not resentful. So many times uh, love can can dangerously transform to resentment if things just do not go our way with how another person treats us. Love does not envy. Love is not resentful. Look at a fourth definition. Love does not boast. I love this term boast. It comes from a word that that can actually mean bellows. The word is in the Greek physis or physius. And it, and it references the action of huge wind bellows that are used to thrust forth air, particularly in stirring up the heat of a fire. Love does not <laughs> billow itself. Love does not inflate itself. This is the meaning behind the definition love does not boast. Love does not inflate one's self-importance or self Promotion at the expense of others. Love is always selfless, not bent toward benefiting self. Love does not puff up our own importance. Love is different than this. Love is, is not prideful. Love, love seeks and gives and, and becomes humble. So love does not boast. Here's a fifth definition. Love does not act rudely. Well, the New American Standard Bible defines this as unbecoming. Love does not act unbecoming or out of sorts. The idea of rudeness here represents going against what would be our common behavior. Now, as a Christian, our common activity, attitude, and behavior represents honoring Jesus. And so the idea of love that acts rudely is not a love that is simply obstinate or or becomes expressive of bad manners. The idea of love being rude is the idea of ignoring what should be commonly expected of a follower of Jesus. So the standard remains high. The character in the face of Christ in our love becomes our standard, becomes the common activity of our lives. And the idea of of our love acting rudely would be that our love uh, falls well short of the standard of Jesus and what is common among Christians and love then becomes self-seeking. So love does not act rudely. Love does not ignore what is expected of a, of a child of God. Sometimes we feel we maintain love with others, but we act in a way that, that indicates we, we are we are giving the other person what we think they deserve in our words or in our actions. And Scripture says, no, love does not act in any way that falls short of what Jesus would expect in our lives. Love does not act rudely. And here's the sixth definition. Love 
does not seek itself. This comes straight from verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 13. Love does not behave rudely. The verse says, love does not seek its own. Love does not seek itself. Conversely, according to Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, love considers others more important than self. True love always presents a deep sense of otherness so that we value the other, even as Christ valued us. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, we read, love, love puts the importance of, of others first. And then following that verse, we're giving the greatest example of otherness. Have this attitude in yourselves. Philippians 2, 5 reminds us, uh, who Christ, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, took on the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of man, and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Christ himself gave. Christ himself laid himself down for us, for you and for me. And so love does not seek its own. Love is constantly looking at the other and saying, you are more valuable, more important than me. This is a tall order in a Western culture where we are, we are conditioned to seek our own comfort and to seek our own benefit. Love always values the other person over self. Love does not seek itself. The seventh definition of love. Love is not provoked to anger easily. And this is, again, straight from the scripture. Uh, straight from, from verse 5, uh, love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not easily provoked. Love is not provoked to anger easily. I remember a verse from Psalm 37, verse 8. Do not fret, it only leads to evil. But the term fret there represents a spirit that is vexed, heated up, perhaps even vengeful. And love does not become an expression that is easily provoked to a heated attitude or harmful words. Love is not easily angered. You and I have perhaps said or heard others say, wow, that person really pushed my buttons. The scripture says, your buttons shouldn't be exposed. <laughs> you should not be easily provoked. Your buttons shouldn't be easily pushed. Love is not easily provoked to anger. Psalm 37, 8, again, do not fret. It only leads to evil. The word evil there means destruction. Our fretfulness, our being heated up can only, can only produce destructive behaviors in our lives and in other relationships. Love is not easily angered. Love is not easily provoked. Think about this. The next time a, a relationship, especially those close to you, uh, offers a circumstance where you feel you're getting vexed and heated, quote these words, claim this verse, love, true love does not become provoked. Not easily conditioned to be anger. This is our seventh definition of love. Now let's move to number eight. The eighth way that this passage defines love is this. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. Again, straight from verse five. Love keeps no record of wrong. Story is told of the, uh, the old man sitting with his, with his counselor and he said to the, to the counselor, my wife is acting historical. And the counselor said, don't you mean hysterical? He said, no, historical. She's constantly bringing up the past. Well, the scripture reminds us love doesn't do this. 
Love doesn't keep a record of wrong. I think you'll find this interesting. This phrase, record of wrong, comes from the Greek term logizomai, which actually can mean a rational summation. There is a sense of an accounting activity here. Love does not make a rational list of things done wrong and computes at the end, this person is bad and has done this against me and holds that in front of their eyes every time they see that person. Love doesn't keep records of wrong. Now, granted that that there are those when they bring harm against us, that harm must must go through healing and sometimes we need help and counsel and and we need others around us to help us in that healing but but in the sense of you and I expressing love to others love doesn't hold up an account of offenses that have been made against us so that we look at that person through the offenses as if to say hey I might forgive but never forget no love doesn't hold on to that record of wrong perhaps that wrong is there and, and it will be there for a while in your mind if the hurt has been deep. But love doesn't use that as the accounting, as the logizomai, as the rationale to return hatred or to return a spirit of bitterness or resentment. Love doesn't hold up what is wrong and, and continually replaying those wrongs in our minds. No, love, love seeks to, to heal and to move toward forgiveness and releasing the other person from any harmful resentment or vengeance we would have against them. Love keeps no record of wrong. I look at the ninth definition as we move toward the end of our list. Love does not delight in evil. Again, straight from the scripture, verse six. Now, love doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love doesn't delight in evil. Love doesn't look For the evil in another person so that we might build a case against that person. This becomes the definition. There are those who build cases for themselves. I understand that may be what we're thinking. But a follower of Jesus doesn't intentionally look for what is wrong and then celebrates that wrong in a way to uh, diminish or, or to create derision or to tear down another's character. Love does not delight in evil. And then finally, number 10, love rejoices in the truth. This is love. I know these are many definitions, but verse 10 seems to reach back and and gently but firmly uh, hold all of these truths and, and say, this is love. All of these truths that have come to us become a summation in verse 10. This is what love rejoices in, the truth that God has revealed to us concerning love. Now, Romans chapter 12, verse 9, a verse we'll actually look at next week, reminds us that we should love sincerely. Let your love be sincere. The word sincere indicates without impurities. Uh, hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Allow your love to cling to the truth of God. See that which God desires to do in the other person as, as a door through which you love that person. This is an amazing Uh, opening of our eyes and hearts to the other. God may be at work there. Love that person. Even when they may seem too difficult to love, love them. Love what is right. God may be working in their lives, so seek the opportunity to show love and to encourage what God may be doing within their hearts. A love rejoices in the truth. So now we come to verse 7. And verse 7 gives us this incredible summary that I love. And and we read this from verse seven. Love protects all things, believes all things, hopes all things and endures 
all things. And notice these four statements of love that I believe represent a good summary of all that has been written here concerning the practical application of love down in the details of our lives. Love protects. That's what the meaning of bear indicates. As love bears all things, the deeper meaning is love protects. Love doesn't betray. Love doesn't go behind the back. Love protects the relationship. Be careful of this. Young and old, make certain that your love, Christian love, that exhibits the face of Christ, make sure that your love does does a pure representation of Christ and, and that it protects and doesn't betray. Love believes all things. The, the, the meaning is that love, love trusts. Love never gives up. Oh, I've heard so many times people saying, I just can't, just can't love that person anymore. I just can't be around that person. Well, then, then Christian love has ceased to exist in your words. Hopefully not in your heart because love does not cease to believe that God can do something great in that relationship. Again, where there has been hurt that needs support and counsel, that needs to be solved through communities of faith. But, but oh, if, if, if you have the opportunity to demonstrate the love of Christ, one of the greatest opportunities is, is loving uh, even when you feel like uh, that, that all has been lost in that relationship. A third, uh, love hopes all things. Uh, love, true love, holds on to what is secure. And God blessing our effort to love others is the security. Uh, love does not act insecure. Love does not withhold, but love gives. And love is confident. It, it hopes all things. And then finally, love endures all things. It perseveres. It stands firm in the midst of trials. Why are these four summary type expressions so important to all that we've looked above? Because these four lead to the ultimate conclusion. Love never fails. Loving as Christ loves us will never fail. The scripture has unfolded a lot of definitions before at this moment, but, but I encourage you, go back to these verses. Make note of those definitions that you felt were vacant or have been vacant from how you've been living out your love for others and return to this love that scripture prescribes because this love never fails. This indicates that as we love with these commitments, God will bless and bring fruit from the love. You may, you may have loved someone for years and, and see shit to, to see love, but, but this does not indicate that God is not bringing your love to fruition. There will be fruit from your love as you love in this way. God will do amazing works and he'll, he'll bring amazing accomplishments if we continue to love in this way. There's a story of a hiker. Her name is Catherine Grohn. She was hiking the Pacific Rim. You know this trail up the West Coast, uh, about 2,600 miles. And she was hiking uh, from the southern part to the most northern part. She only had 150 miles left. She was in Washington State. The weather was growing inclement. And she came across a day hiker, Nancy Abel. Well, Abel looked at this weary hiker and discouraged her from finishing the trail because uh, Abel had heard the weather reports are bad. The, the, the terrain is treacherous. You have no uh, snowshoes. You can't, you can't finish out. But uh, Gron uh, disregarded her warning and, and wanted to complete the trail. Well, this stranger, Nancy Abel, as she returned to her car, she grew concerned for this one who was traveling. And so she called the local county sheriff 
the, the, the Sheriff's Department of Snohomish, this county near the uh, base of the trail. And she called and reported that a hiker could, could be in potential danger. The, the Sheriff's Office gave attention to that warning. They eventually found Grown. And when they found Grown, Catherine Grown, she was... She was just hours away from death. The hypothermia had set in. She she was ill-equipped to finish the trail. She had she had fallen into some treacherous terrain. Her cell phone was out of range. And she was at the point of death when she was discovered. But she was brought back to safety, survived. And in an interview several weeks later, this was her comment. The reason I took this hike is because I have lost all faith in humanity. Everything that's going on has made me lose hope in any good that comes from humanity. But she said, thanks to this stranger who decided to love me, even though she didn't know me, by sending help, she has brought back my faith in relationships in a really big way. Now, I share that story with you just for the very simple and obvious application. There may be people in your path who've just given up on relationships. In fact, I know they are. And they are seeking someone to prove to them the love of Christ. And let's do this. Dear people of God, let's love as the scripture indicates, as God himself has prescribed. Let's define love in in the intricate details of our lives. And let's go forward loving as Jesus loved us. That is indeed love defined. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for teaching us through your word. Help us to love as you love. Thank you for these intricate, specific, micro details of how love should be very real in the, in the deepest parts of our lives. And Father, help us to follow your word and to trust you as you lead us to love others well. Help us to walk in love in the way that you have loved us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And together we said, amen. At this moment, there's a, a website location on the screen. Maybe somewhere in the course of this worship time online, God has spoken to your heart. And maybe you realize that there's some relationships and some decisions and, and some uh, directions in your life that really are leading to destruction. And you need to, need to speak to someone. Reach out to this website location. We'll be uh, prompt to return uh, our, our contact right back to you. Or perhaps today you've heard of the love of Christ over and over again and you realize your life has never been surrendered completely to Jesus. And you're saying today is the day I give my life completed to Jesus and place my faith in him. You know, scripture says if we trust him and confess him as Lord and, and confess our sins to him and receive his forgiveness, uh, we will be saved and changed forever. And so I pray that your heart is open to Jesus. Reach out to us. We want to talk to you more about what it means to know Jesus personally. Thank you for being a part of the, this second session of our teaching series walk in love. I look forward to next week. We'll be in Romans chapter 12 as we discover how love is determined. And I hope you'll join us for that. Love you a lot. We'll see you soon.